0: Welcome. How are you this morning? Good. We're glad to see you here at First Baptist Church. My name is Melissa Hatfield. I'm the pastor of Youth and Mission. Um, I want to welcome Deborah Scott, who is bringing our message this morning. You know her well, probably, uh, here at First Baptist Church. She's our chair of deacons and a a member for a long time. And you will certainly be blessed um, by the word that she brings and the encouragement and the reminder of God's love. So, Deborah, thank you for coming and speaking uh, this morning. This morning our scripture comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. If you want to follow along, I'll be reading from the message. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. Wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country and it began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, All those hands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. And when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father. I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead but now alive, given up for lost, and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Well, there's no place like home is our message this morning. And uh, pray with me, if you would. Father, we thank you so much for being here, being our God. And we pray now that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to each one at the point of their need. And we thank you for being a God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Doyle emailed me yesterday, and he said, uh, he was praying for me, and he said, would you please give my love and my greetings, and I quote, to my precious church family. So he's missing you. I think he's going to be really glad when he gets back home. And we're going to be really glad to have him. But for today, it's my joy to be here and to share some thoughts with you from the Word. And uh, our message is there's no place like home. And we're going to begin with a video clip from that old 1939 movie, The Wizard of Oz. Yes, I'm ready now. Then close your eyes. And tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. 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 home. up, honey. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no Dorothy. Dorothy, dear. It's Aunt Em, darling. Oh, Annie Em, it's you. Yes, darling. Hello there. Anybody home? I, uh, I just dropped by because I heard the little girl got caught in a big... Well, she seems all right now. Yeah, she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought there for a minute she was going to leave us. But I did leave you, Uncle Henry. That's just the trouble. And I tried to get back for days and days. There, there, lie quiet now. You just had a bad dream. Sure. Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Hickory? You couldn't forget my face, could you? But it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you, and you... And you, and you were there. Oh, that's <laughs> But you couldn't have been, could you? Well, we dream lots of silly things when we... No, Aunt Em, this was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you don't. Know. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M. There's no place like home. Oh, that's not the end. You can't go home yet. <laughs> home, 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 home. There's really no, there really is no place like home. And at its best, that very word evokes in us feelings of warmth and love and security and safety. At least that's the way it ought to be. It might not have been for some, but that's what we want it to be and hope for. And most of us have experienced that feeling of being away from home for a while, and just wanting to get back home like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Here's a little story for you. When I was in junior high, um, I had a girlfriend who rode the bus with me every day, that big old yellow school bus, you know, rackety and rickety, going along the gravel road together, and... So every day we rode the bus to school, and we sat together in the same seat. And she only lived three or four miles away from me. And so we were really good friends and uh, didn't often get to do this. But one week I twisted my mother's arm and talked her into letting me invite Shirley to come home with me to spend the night to have a big sleepover. And we had all these big plans for what we were going to do. You know, We were 11 or 12 and we were going to ride bikes and we were going to ride horses and we were going to go to my grandma's for tea and cookies because she made the best ever chocolate chip cookies. And I loved her to death and we were going to go there and oh, we had all these plans together. We were going to have the best time. At least we thought we were going to have the best time. And so about an hour or two after getting off the bus, I noticed that Shirley was becoming distant, and her countenance was beginning to fall, and she was getting a little sadder and a little sadder all the time. And we were out in the front yard, and in the front yard of our old farm home, there was a sidewalk that went from the front porch directly out to the road, and there was a bank there, and I used to think about it as a sidewalk to nowhere, because it just went out there and dropped off. And... You could go out there and sit down on the end of the sidewalk and ponder forever. And uh, Shirley went out there and sat down, and I thought, this is not a good sign. And so she was looking longingly toward the north, which was the direction of her home. And I thought, this is not good. So I went out there, and I sat down beside my friend, and I put my arm around her, and I said, Shirley, what's wrong? And she wouldn't even look up at me. She said, I just want to go home. Well, I was very disappointed, as you can imagine. But long story short, we took Shirley home because she was so homesick and so miserable that we would not have had a good night. And so much for my great plans for that day. Um, But one day, Jesus told a story about going home and the reason he told the story that we read in Luke chapter 15 is because he was undergoing a lot of criticism from the leaders the religious leaders of the day and so the author of Luke records three stories that he told in response to that criticism and he was being criticized for spending time with the tax collectors and the sinners we might have been among that group and um, He spent a lot of time with people on the margins, with people who were outcasts and poor and sick and lonely and lepers and unclean and unrighteous. You know, the people that sometimes and most times get ignored. So he told these three stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And today we're going to focus most on the final of the lost son. And um, as I was pondering this message and got my download, as I call it, it all came together for me around the letter R. And so there's seven R's that we're going to talk about very quickly this morning. And the first one is rejection. In Jesus' day, since the father had two sons... He would have divided the estate, and the younger son would have gotten one-third, and the older son would have gotten two-thirds, or a double portion. But the offensive part of the story is this, that this impetuous young man couldn't wait until his father died to get his part. He wanted it instantly. He wanted it right now. And... In making that request, that must have hurt his father greatly. It amounted to rejection. He was saying in so many words, I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of this business. I don't want any part of this family. I don't want any part of your life's work. I want my money, and I'm out of here. That had to hurt his father greatly. And it's a picture of how we can hurt our Heavenly Father when we reject him or we ignore him or we distance ourselves from him. Well, shortly after this father had acquiesced and given this young, impetuous man his portion of the fortune, the father um, gave it to him and he took it. And a few days later, he decided, I really am out of here. I'm leaving. And he left. And he not only left, but he went far away, again saying, I don't want to be here. And one of the worst feelings, I think, in the world is being rejected or not being wanted. So, verse 13 tells us that he came to complete ruin as a result of his decision. And Jesus tells us about the ruin of this young man who rejected his father and went his own way. Uh, The New Revised Standard Version reads that he squandered his property with dissolute living. The Old King James reads he, he destroyed himself with prodigal living. Other versions, like the message that we read today, read that he wasted his substance, spending everything he had living extravagantly, and carelessly, in other words, he chose a wasteful, excessive, reckless lifestyle until his money was completely gone. Today we'd say, he spent it all like there was no tomorrow." The timing is everything in a story. And so Jesus had perfect timing, so he says, "No more, no, no sooner had he done this. No sooner had he spent it all. And a great famine came upon the land, and he became destitute, or he became in need, or he was in great want. He was penniless, he was homeless, and he was desperate. And so he decided to look for work. And he went out, and he found a farmer who would take him on. And the farmer gave him a job and sent him out in the field to slop the pigs. And, you know, Jesus is so cool. The examples that he chooses are always right on target and for a reason. He chose this particular occupation for this young man for a reason. In this honor, in this society, honor and shame were very important, enormously important. And this younger son had fallen in to complete disgrace and brought complete dishonor on his family. Nothing could have conceivably been worse in this society than feeding the swine or tending the swine. So Christ gives us this picture of this young man who has been devastated to such a degree that he's covered with mud and animal dung. He's not just hungry. He's starving. He's starving so much that that he would have been glad to have eaten what the pigs were eating. And the message says he would have been glad to pick the corn cobs up out out of the slop and eaten the corn cobs. The older versions say that he would have been glad to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. And this is one of those pods. When we were in Israel, our tour guide reached up when we were on the Temple Mount and picked this pod and said, Deborah. This is what John the Baptist would have eaten, or this is what the prodigal son wanted to eat. Today, we call it a carob pod, and we know that, you know, you can make it taste almost like chocolate. But not then. It was considered animal feed. People didn't eat these. Only the very, very poor ate these. And so he even begged for this. He begged for food, but nobody would give him anything. Nothing. It's at this point when he, he reached not rock bottom like we would say, but slop bottom, that he found repentance, which is not a word that we use very often anywhere except out in the church. And repentance is a Bible word that means to change your mind, to change your direction. And he was sorry for what he'd done sorry enough to, to swallow his pride and decide to go home. Verse 17 always makes me grin when I read it because it says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he realized that his father's servants were better off than he was. He realized what he'd done in rejecting his dad And he decided to go home and confess his folly and ask to be taken back as a servant, not as a son, because he no longer felt worthy or deserving to be called his dad's child. So in repentance, he does the only sensible thing that he can do. He returns home, covered with pig slop, starving, and broken. He begins that long journey back to his dad. Can you imagine what thoughts he was thinking? Remember, he was in a distant country. It took him a while to get home. What thoughts and fears consumed him as he made his journey back home? Will my father receive me? Will he accept me back even as a servant given all that I have done? But the desire... To go home was greater than all of that. And then in the story of Jesus, the greatest thing happens. We don't know for certain, but I know from my own experience, and you may know from yours, that when a child is sort of not in the fold the way you'd like them to be, that there's never anything that makes you pray any harder or keep you looking any more earnestly than that. And so I'm pretty sure that this dad had been looking for this child every day. And he'd been going out and he'd been scanning the horizon multiple times a day to see if he could see the figure of his beloved son returning home. And this is the heart of the parable. This is what Jesus wants to drive home to us. In the two previous parables, the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go look for the one. In the second parable of the lost coin, the woman lit every lamp in the house. She swept the entire house. She looked under the furniture. She looked in the furniture. She looked in the cabinets. She looked everywhere until she found the lost coin. But in this story... When the sun is still a great distance away, a long way off. Now he wouldn't have seen him if he hadn't have been looking, right? So he was looking for that sun. And when the sun was still a long way off, he saw him, he had compassion on him. And this is the part of the story that gets me. And I hope it gets you. He flat out runs. He flat out runs. And the word in the Greek for run that is used doesn't mean just run. It means that he exerted every ounce of energy he had. He had on long robes and he picked them up and he tucked them in his waist and he ran with everything in his soul, everything in his being. He ran toward his son. By all, you know, societal rules of decorum, the father could have been sitting back at home in his easy chair, waiting for the young man to come home and grovel and beg for forgiveness. But not this daddy. Not this daddy. This daddy saw his child, and this daddy ran out to greet him. And before the son could even get his confession out of his mouth, what's the father doing? He's ordering a party. He's ordering a party. The forgiveness was instant, and the reconciliation was immediate. So in great detail, Jesus teaches us a very important truth about God. The Heavenly Father is seeking us. Every single one of us matters to him. Like the lost sheep, God will leave the 99 to go find the one. Like with the lost coin, the search is diligent and sustained. It's not superficial. And like the father with the lost son, He ran out to greet his son with all of his heart. God pulls out all the stops looking for you and looking for me. And furthermore, Eugene Peterson points out that it doesn't matter how you got lost. It doesn't matter how you got separated from God. In the story with the sheep, it's probably just a dumb sheep. It's just probably ignorance. In the story with the coin, it might be negligence or carelessness, but it might just be an accident. But in, and in this story, it was through choice. But it doesn't matter. In all three stories, there's a great search for the lost. And when, and when the lost is found, there's great rejoicing. It doesn't matter how or why we get separated. What matters is being found. And what matters is coming home. And there really is no place like home. There's no place like home in God. And the father orders a robe, his robe, the best robe, to be placed around his son's shoulders. Not just any old change of clothes, but the best robe. The best robe be given to his son. And he orders that the ring, the family ring, the one that he would have used to seal those documents, Be placed upon his son's finger to say to the son, No, you're not coming home as a servant, son. You're coming back as my child, as my son. And he orders sandals to be placed on the feet. Again, servants didn't wear sandals, only family members wore sandals. You're my child, you're my son and he orders the fatted calf, the one that you specially fed and that you held in reserve for special parties to be made ready and for a feast to begin. They began to have a wonderful time, the message says. When John and I went on a trip recently, we flew back into the Kansas City airport and... um, we didn't have a car there, so our daughter Chris came to pick us up. And we'd been gone quite a while. We'd been gone 10 days, and I really was feeling that feeling about wanting to come home at, at the end. Usually it happens sooner, but I got. we were having such a good time. I didn't get that feeling so soon this time. But anyway, we came back into the airport, and we were expecting Chris, obviously, but we weren't expecting the surprise, which was that she was going to bring our 4-year-old Granddaughter Aspen with her. And so when we were coming off of the aircraft and down the jetway, someone helped me with that word after the first service. Down the jetway, we looked out the secure area and there was Aspen with her face up against the glass. And I got so excited because I had missed my granddaughter for 10 days and I was pumped to see her and I was so excited. So we came out of the secure area. And I dropped everything. I went down on my knees and I dropped my purse and I dropped my bag and I dropped, I just threw it. And I got down on my knees and I opened my arms wide and Aspen jumped down from her mama's arms and she ran the 20 or 30 feet toward me and I grabbed her like this and she grabbed me around the neck and I kissed her all over her face. I mean, not just one kiss, not just a little kiss. I kissed her all over her face and she kissed me all over mine. It was the greatest rejoicing and the greatest reunion. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to convey to us of how the Heavenly Father feels when we come home to him. God is not just sitting there idly waiting for us to come home. Like the father in the story, he's looking, he's longing, he's waiting, he's diligently searching for each and every one of us to come home to him. Because we were made for a relationship with him, and until we find our true home in him, I think we long for it forever until we find it. And so Jesus' message is this The Father is looking for you, He's looking for me, He's waiting, He has arms wide open, ready for our return. In the final book of Scripture, in the final chapter, the final verses, Revelation twenty two, seventeen says and the spirit and the bride say, "Come," and let him who hears say, "Come," and let him who thirsts come whoever desires, let him come and take of the water of life freely. This is the reason that Jesus Christ came it's the reason he came was to make the way back home for us in luke nineteen ten and I got these backwards, so they're just doing a great job up there. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's the whole reason for Jesus' life. When he went to Calvary and he died with nails in his hands and nails through his feet and a crown of thorns upon his head, when he died, the scripture says that the veil of the temple was split from the top to the bottom instantly. Instant access was made for us to God. Instantly, there was a way made for us to come home. If you haven't ever come home to God, we invite you to come home to him today. If you know God, but you've been away a while, you've just been distant, far away, God still wants you, his child, to come home to him. Come home come home. There's an old song that says, come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. We invite you to come home to God today. We're going to sing a song of invitation and uh, Melissa and I will be here at the front and we invite you to come home to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a loving and wonderful and gracious God who is longing and waiting and desiring for us to come home to you. Thank you for being a God who runs toward us, not away from us. So God, we pray that you would just be with us during this time and that you would have your will and your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Come home.